Welcome to the Loans On Demand podcast, the show where we flip the real estate status quo on its head and put loan officers into the driver's seat. We give you all the tools, strategies, resources, and mindset needed to modernize your mortgage business and thrive. And my name is Luke Shankula, aka Longform Luke, and this is the Loans On Demand podcast. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to the Loans On Demand podcast, the show where we help loan officers flip the status quo on real estate agents and put loan officers in the driver's seat. And I'm super excited because today we have a special guest. We got Kyle Johnson, sales trainer, former direct to consumer LO over at New American Funding. And yeah, man, I'm excited to have you on here. Uh, welcome to the show. Excited to be here. Thanks. Yeah, man. So uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, man. Tell us a little bit about your background, how you kind of came to be in the mortgage <laughs> industry. And I know we talked a little bit off camera, but you know, give us some insight. Sure thing. So I have two degrees in theater, which uh, don't pay a lot of bills. <laughs> so ultimately what it came down to was my wife and I, once we graduated from our master's programs, we needed something. And a, a friend of mine was a loan officer here in Michigan for a big lender that I'm sure everyone listening will know the name of. And just referred me and never turned back. I've been doing it ever since. So that's me in a nutshell and what brings me into the world of mortgages. Love it, man. Love it. So tell me a little bit about kind of the journey to yeah. you know, where you are today, right? I mean, obviously, you weren't always a sales trainer. Talk a little mm -hmm. bit about kind of like where you started. Were you successful right out the gate or what was kind of the growth plan? Or you know, how did you kind of get to where you are today? Yeah, fantastic question. So with my journey, it's not going to be the same as what the majority of people who are in the industry are going to look at. I came into a direct-to-consumer company from the very beginning. Sure. So I started taking lead flow from my very infancy as a banker. And I don't think anybody can really say they were super hot right out of the gate. There's right. always going to be some learning curve and a little bit of bumps in the road right off the bat. But I was able to find success very quickly once I was on the sales floor converting 25 to 30 loans a month as a refinance specialist, taking people from their threes up to the five and a halves in a market that is eerily similar to what we're looking at right now. I was going to say. And just kind of decided, you know, I actually, it's a fun story. I talked to all my trainees about needing to have a strong why, a strong purpose, a strong reason that they wake up the first of every month and stare at a big goose egg on the board. Right. And for me, that why is my family. My first date with my wife, she told me hey, something you got to know about me is I'm going to adopt a child with Down syndrome someday. And I said, sounds fun. And so I came to the world of mortgage to make sure that I could position myself so that we could have the life that we want. And the day my son was placed into my arms, I kind of looked in his eyes and I was like, I don't want to work 70, 80 hours a week anymore. I want to spend more time with him. And that's kind of what got me to come to where I am now to have a much better kind of life balance and sure. still be able to execute and do what I love doing. So love it. that's what brings me to here. And I've always been a student of every industry I've ever been a part of. I love reading guidelines. I don't know why. I love reading AUS findings and picking them apart and reading every little bit. And because of that, I was able to get kind of tapped on the shoulder to join the training team. And now I, I help other people succeed. And that's kind of my passion is making sure others are able to reach their fullest potential. Man, I love that. That's incredible, right? I think the hardest part for most people, or not the hardest part, but something that people don't think about is finding that why. Why, like, mm. what's the purpose? Why are you going to grind, right? I mean, especially in a market like we are today. 
Yeah. It's just harder right now. It's just got to work a little bit harder to get those loans, right? Versus 2020, 2021, where loans are falling out of the sky, right? Like, you know, if someone fogged a mirror, you could pretty much, you know, get them a loan back then, right? I mean, with <laughs> two, 3% rates and, you know, everybody was-, was The mirror check, as we call it. Right, right. Well, obviously, you know, you need to still qualify, but almost everybody who owned a home could right. refinance over the last two years. Now we're in the market where, right. you know, 50% of the business is pretty much gone. You'll cash out refi still, but, you know, for the most part, purchases- you know, the bigger play. And I think, mm -hmm. you know, by having that why and having that purpose for why you get up every day and grind. I mean, you talked about it, right? When you probably started out, you were grinding 50, 60, 70 hours, you know, to close those 25, 30 loans a month, right? Yeah. I like the way you phrase that because we had a meeting, like a leadership meeting yesterday. And one of the things we talked about was service. And one of the things that I brought up in front of everyone is that like, I wake up every single day. And the first thought that comes through my mind is how many people can I help yep. today? And because I approach it from that perspective, I literally don't care what my production is because I know that if I stay focused on doing what is best for my borrowers and doing what is best for my family and doing what is best for new American funding, I will end up succeeding. And it reminds me of Zig Ziglar. I can't remember the exact quote, but he always said, you can have everything you want in life as long as you help enough people get what they yep. want. And so I focus on that service and making sure that I provide for every one of my borrowers and how I found my success. I think that's important too, because I think a lot of times people, when they are, you know, buying leads or they're working leads, they forget mm -hmm. that the people at the other end of the phone are bad. They're people, right? And they're like, oh, well, this is a bad lead or this yeah. is bad or this is whatever. And it's like, well, at the end of the day, like these are people that have problems that you may or may not be able to solve, but- But they deserve my attempt. Right, exactly, exactly. And at some point, maybe they'll come back around. Maybe they won't, who knows? I mean, you know, exactly. I'm not saying you should spend 45 minutes with every single person, but that being said, like, you know, they deserve respect because at the end of the day, they are people. Right. And I think that that changes your perspective on leads, you know, that changes your perspective on how you approach leads. And, and let's talk a little bit about because I think one of the biggest things with sales and leads in general is mindset, right? It comes down to how right. are you approaching it? How do you view the activities that you're doing? So talk a little bit about what you do uh, when you are, you know, you bring in a new class of new loan officers that are coming in. I'm assuming that's probably one of the first things you go over is like, you know, confidence and mindset are probably your two biggest keys. My whole first week of training, it's a three-week training program, eight hours a day okay. with us, is all focused on the topic of mindset and making sure that they understand you know, why they're doing what they're doing, why the borrowers are looking for everything and making sure that they approach it with that right mindset so that they can execute on all levels. And one of the things that's so important in that is something that you said earlier is that everyone on the phone is a person, right? And I can't do anything for anyone if I don't understand who they are, which is why it's so vital to make sure you build rapport, get to know your borrowers. Simon T. Bailey is a motivational speaker. And one of the things that he said that really rang out to me was along the lines of make sure that you are a vitamin to people and not an aspirin. So as long as you're able to provide the kind of nourishment, the preventative care that they need rather than just masking some symptoms, right? that's when you can really change people's lives. And you can't do that if you don't understand your borrowers. And so the thing that I hate the most is when I'm listening to a call, doing a call review, especially on the refinance side and the bankers just like, hey, what can I do for you? It's like, if they knew the answer to that, they wouldn't be on the phone with you. Right. Right. Get to know them, figure out what their pain points are, figure out what their pleasure points are and make sure that you craft a solution that addresses those things. And it all comes down to mindset, right? If I enter a phone call thinking I need this loan, I'm not going to manifest that. I'm going to come across sure. desperate. It's going to be a fight rather than a dance versus if I come into the phone call and I think, how can I help this person and be open to what they need? 
commission breath, right? I mean, uh, I think <laughs> commission breath. I love that. So, so many times people come onto the phone, they have commission breath because they are, maybe they're desperate for the sale. Maybe they haven't made a sale in a couple of days or a couple of weeks right. or whatever it is. You know, you get on a conversation with someone, oh man, this person really sounds like the right person. The thing is like, people can tell like your energy, mm-hmm. they can tell like how desperate you are and they can tell also that you're not being genuine. Right. And I think that's one right. of the biggest things that people miss out on is the difference between referrals and something like a lead, right? Like a lot of times people try to treat leads like they're referrals. And the problem with mm. doing that is, you know, obviously a lead doesn't have that inherent built-in trust. There's no buy-in. Yeah. Right, right, right. And that's what happens, you know, what you don't understand when you're getting referrals is that you're borrowing the trust from the person that referred that person to you, right? right. So you don't have to actually build trust with that person. They already inherently trust you because of the fact that you got referred by someone that they trust. And right. the difference between that and a cold lead, someone that's coming in, with zero knowledge of who you are is that they don't know who you are. They don't trust you. They don't like you. Like all those things that we talk about, right? No like, and trust. Mm-hmm. They don't have those things. And so the way I think the way you stand out as an LO is by what you talked about, right? Using Socratic dialogue, using questions to understand where they're at and the pain points that they have. And then, you know, one of the things I just did a training yesterday on, you know, heaven and hell Island. I don't know if you're familiar with that concept, but basically mm. hell Island is like their current situation and hell Island is their desired situation. And our job right. as salespeople is to paint that picture clearly on both sides, show them why our solution is the solution for their problems. Right. And so, mm-hmm. so many times people forget that and like, oh, well, let's get your application, see what you qualify for. It's like, they get so scared. They're like, oh man, what? What are you talking about? No, I'm, I don't want to do that. Who are you? Or even if they let you do it, you're the same as every other banker that they've spoken to. Right. And you've done right. nothing to set yourself apart. And one of the things that I talk about with all my borrowers, and I'll try to visually describe this as well, especially in direct to consumer, your borrower comes on with their temperature right here. It's very neutral. Mm-hmm. And we got to do everything right. we can to get that temperature and that excitement up before you talk about the application and pulling credit and all those other things that are going to naturally bring that temperature back down. Mm-hmm. So when you take a referral, the temperature's already lukewarm for you. It's, you're not starting at that neutral. You're already right. a step up. Right. And so you really do have to treat those leads that are bought or given to you much differently because you got to really focus in on what the borrower's mindset is so you can get them excited and motivated and get their temperature up. So let's talk a little bit about that. How do you mm-hmm. do that in a conversation without kind of, mm. and just to kind of, you know, take a step back a lot of times yeah even for my own sales guys like there's questions that need to be asked and it comes off sometimes as interrogative right and i think there's a Absolutely. balance between having the conversation and i think it's just the way that you approach the conversation so how do you yeah. kind of do that especially with someone that's kind of cold like that it's a fantastic question and i'm actually teaching a course on this in three weeks and i call it the conversational application Love it. Because if you are a master of your domain and you know what's on the 1003 and you know everything that you need to get you can get any piece of information you need to without asking those questions as long as you understand what you have to fill in and just have the conversation. Let it naturally evolve and go where it comes by based on, like you said, Socratic questions, getting the borrower to speak up because everybody loves talking about themselves. Right. So I've never once asked anybody a question like, where are you looking to buy? Right. I've always asked questions like, what does the area need to have for you? Like, what are you looking for? Is like, is it a, a school district for your kids? Is it you know, what is most important to you, get them to talk. And then you can ask branch off questions that just naturally progress the conversation. And as long as you're notating everything as you go, you never have to ask those interrogative questions because you're just filling out the information as they give it to you. Yeah. 
I love that. And I think that's a, a huge thing too. And it's some of the things that mm -hmm. I tell, you know, some of our clients is and our LOs is that like, I don't know if this even makes sense for you, but I've said, Hey, say something like, Hey, have you been window shopping? You know, have you been looking 100%. at any houses? Like what areas have been, Oh, that's a really cool house. Right. Like, and kind of even doing my that. favorite question in that vein is like, what is it about that house that stood out to you? Gotcha. Right. Once you get them talking about that window shopping and like, Oh, why did you love that one so much? And then they'll give you their whole laundry list of what they're looking for. Sure. And then if you've got a referral partner that you work with on the real estate side, you've got notes that you can provide to those people as well. Right. Right. And just those types of questions open the borrower up and make them feel happy and excited about the conversation rather than like they're a statistic. And I've always joked with everyone that I've never closed a single loan because of my salesmanship or my sales skill. I close loans because people hang up the phone with me and they're like, I liked that guy. Right. I don't know what it is, but I want to work with him. Right. It has nothing to do with numbers or anything like that. It's just making a friend is the way I look at it. Yeah. Well, and I, I like that because I think by defining it that way in your mind, you come off as genuine versus like, again, mm -hmm. kind of going back to the interrogative approach. It's yeah. like, you know, when you have like this script that you're following and it's like, well, I got to hit all these check marks instead of like really digging into what they want, you just are like, oh, well, they answered that question. So let's just get to the next question, right? Yeah. And as a trainer, I do a lot of call reviews and sure. you can hear, like I literally in my mind's eye can see my loan officers filling out their field, right. like as they're asking questions. And like, if we're doing a one-on-one, -on -one, I'll pause it and I'll be like, what did they just say? And like, even in the call review, they didn't hear what the borrower was saying. And it was like, I guess, cause you're not listening. You got to practice your active listening. You got to pay attention, keep your whiskers out and stay connected with the borrower. It's crazy. Some of the things I hear as a trainer. Well, and I totally get that, man. I mean, we do call reviews all the time as well. And it's funny cause mm -hmm. like you think that by, and for people who are listening, if you do leads and you're not even reviewing your own calls, you probably should, because mm -hmm. you're going to notice that you're saying things that you didn't realize you were saying and you're like, oh my goodness, what am I doing there? I think it's one of the top ways that you can improve your sales. To be honest, it's pretty cringy at first. I mean, I don't know, like it is. for you, you've probably done it for a long time. And so it's not that bad anymore. But you know, at the same time, like it's pretty rough, man. Doing call reviews is pretty rough, like especially listening yeah. to your own self doing it. But at the same time, it's just a way for you to improve. I think regardless of if it's a referral or not, if it's a lead or not, you should be doing call reviews. You should be sharpening that sword, getting better at your sales process. And what do you sort of do in that situation? For myself or for my bankers? For yourself. And then you can talk about your bankers as well. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things that I look at is it's always an opportunity for growth, right? Yeah. It's sure. uncomfortable, but you're never going to grow if you stay comfortable all the time. Right. Right. One of the things I tell all my trainees is to start getting comfortable being uncomfortable because that's the only way you become better. And I tell them my genuine wish for them my hopes and prayers is that the first phone call that they take, they just get absolutely kicked in the teeth. And it's a horrible, <laughs> horrible experience because then they just have nowhere to go but up, right? right? They get it out of the way. They don't have to worry about that call coming down the pipe anymore. It's already happened to them. Right. And then they can just grow from there. And so I might be a glutton for punishment, but I actually love call reviews. I love sure. getting feedback and listening to them. And I always have been ever since I entered the industry. And so for me, I just look at it as an opportunity. I'm a bit of a perfectionist. Sure. So I look at it as an opportunity to listen and find those things. Like you said, like I used to say 100% all the time after everything that anybody said. If it was a question, if it was a statement, I'd be like, yeah, 100%. And then I'd move on. And it's like, there's no reason to say that. So you can start to remove those things from your vernacular and make sure that your calls are tighter and better structured. And then as it pertains to working with my bankers, it's just highlighting those things with genuine care and from a place of wanting them to improve. And as long as you deliver the message that way, 
I've found that all of my trainees are very open to it. It all comes down to the way the message is delivered. Yeah, so, gotcha. When you are giving feedback, yeah, what's kind of the process there? Are you giving like multiple pieces of feedback? Are you trying to like you know stick mm-hmm. to a, two or three pieces of feedback? Just you know, because one of the things I found is like you give too much feedback and then you know they lose confidence and they start to change things and then that causes issues. So I don't know if that's yeah. what you've found. It kind of depends on the aim. Like if this is something where we've got it scheduled, it's on the books for like a week and we know what's coming, I'll send them a specific call that I want us both to come in with notes on. And I'll generally have two or three like flag post key moments that I want to key in on and talk about. And if it's a little bit more kind of off the cuff where they just message me and they're like, hey, can we listen to this call right now? Then I'm a little bit nitpicky because I don't have time to censor myself. We're just listening to the call and basically everything I hear, I pause it and we talk about it. So it just depends on whether or not it's that in the moment kind of feedback or if it's something that we're prepped gotcha. for and we're going in expecting the conversation. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, and that's one of the things I've found, you know, in the past is like giving too much feedback can sometimes be a bad thing. But if you're doing this on a regular basis, I do think it can be like, hey, here's things that you could have done better. That doesn't necessarily mean mm-hmm. that on the next call you change every single thing about your pitch. But uh, right. But yeah, it's interesting. The other thing, too, is consistency, right? I think the other hard part about doing mm-hmm. stuff with leads is like consistency the follow-up and i don't know if this is how it works with you guys but the follow-up after you've taken the application i don't know if there's different processes there that maybe you have someone else doing that follow-up but what does that kind of look like once you have taken an application 100 percent. i generally believe that a lot of that follow-up can be bypassed if you are able to set proper clear expectations and urgency on that first mm-hmm. phone call i always ask it sounds like a trick question but every time i'm in a training session i ask them what's the easiest way to avoid having a pipeline of 150 people And the answer is just get them in process, right? right? If you can get docs back, if you can get the 1003, if you can get everything set up and get them in process, then we don't have to waste time with that. But for me, it's all about being structured, right? You have to go into every single day knowing exactly what's going on. So I block schedule everything. And so I walk into every morning with my schedule sitting there waiting for me. I know exactly who I'm calling. I know when I'm calling and I'm honoring those commitments. Because if I tell a borrower, I'm going to call you at 11 and I call them at 11.05, I might be like, oh, it's only five minutes. But I've had borrowers pick up the phone and say, you were supposed to call me five minutes ago. And then they hang up on me. Right. Right. So you just have to make sure that you have a game plan and you go into it ready for that. And then you do what I call land, air, and sea. Every time I touch a client, I'm calling them, I'm sending a text, and I'm sending them an email. And they're all cross-referencing each other so that they know that I'm going to do what I say I'm going to do. And I just continue doing that. And I keep going until I either I get what I need or they tell me don't ever talk to me or my son again. Right. Then I'll put them on a nurturing campaign. I'll call them in three months when they forget that they told me never to talk to them again. And then, and then we're good to go. Have you ever read the book fanatical prospecting? Uh, I have not. It's a great book, but that's one of the things he talks about. He's like, there's always that last call of the day is always the one where you get the gold, things like that. But one of the things he mentions in that book is a lot of times people will answer the phone and be pissed off. You call them a couple of weeks later, they completely forget. And the thing mm-hmm. you have to remember too is a lot of times when the way people act is generally not a reflection of you. It's a reflection of the day they're having, right. some sort of a situation that they're dealing with that causes them to react, right? Like exactly. most of the time, people are not just pissed at the world and they're like, you know, they're just pissed at someone's calling them. There's something else happening in their life a lot of times. So understanding that and attempting not to take it personal because, you know, I think that's probably one of the hardest things. There's the, what's it called? Phone resistance or mm. um, call resistance, reluctance. People don't want to pick up the phone and dial because, you know, they're worried of rejection. So, exactly. so I guess, how do you help your trainees and things like that to deal with that, deal with rejection all the time, things like that, right? 
Yeah. And so one of the things I try to instill in them is first and foremost, understanding that you're not the only person calling them. There's 20 other people calling them every single day. And a lot of times it's kind of the same as buyer's fatigue where they just don't want to have the conversations anymore. So they're screening everyone's calls. Nobody's getting. And 90% of those bankers are going to give up after the second, third, fourth phone call. And I tell them, guys, a lot of times it's a war of attrition. Just make sure you're the last person calling them. Keep calling and eventually they'll be able to breathe a sigh of relief. They'll feel the weight off their shoulders a little bit. And they're like, I'm ready for this conversation. And you just got to make sure that you're the one who's calling when they're ready for the conversation. That's the first thing is don't give up because they're not screening you because you're a bad person. Right. They're not screening you because they don't want to talk to you. They're not screening you because they think that you're a bad option. They're screening you because they're screening everybody. Right. So just keep persistence, keep calling, keep touching base and eventually they'll pick up which leads to my second thing is i just like to know where i stand right whether or not it's a yes or a no so if they pick up and they tell me to pound sand i'm happy because i know where i stand with this person anymore i don't need to waste any more mental energy and i can move on to the next borrower right because one of the things i talk about all the time is i ask my trainees i use a lot of sports analogies okay. so i ask them like what constitutes a good batter in baseball and they're like, you know, like 350. And I'm like, yeah, it's a great batter. What do you need to do to be a great loan officer? And they're like, 350. And I'm like, no, you don't. You can execute at a much lower percentage right, and right. still be very successful. Right. Right. And so you got to maintain your own sanity and make sure that you're putting your mental effort and your energies towards things that are going to be productive for you. And if I don't know where I stand with somebody, then I can't do that. I'm sitting there wasting energy. I'm like, sure. Did Luke smell my commission breath last time I talked to him? Why is he not picking up my phone call this time? Right. And so I just, for me, I come from a stance of, I'm not afraid of anything. I don't really care if somebody yells at me. I don't care if they insult me. I just want to know where I stand. So I'm just going to keep calling you until I know where I stand. Is that a product of just repetition or was that how you've kind of always been when you started? Honestly, I think it's a product of being in the theater. Gotcha. Right? People audition consistently all the time and you get a lot more no's than you get yeses. I'm just, I'm used to rejection in the professional world and it's never a negative thing Mm -hmm. i always approach this as borrowers in our industry or directors producers whatever in the entertainment industry they have a puzzle in front of them and they need to solve the puzzle i think that i'm the last puzzle piece i always think that i'm the solution but they might not think so and so if i just know that i'm not the right puzzle piece then i'm not the right puzzle piece and i move on because I've given up on trying to make sure that everyone likes me. I've given up on trying to make sure that everyone transacts with me because I'm getting too old for that. I don't want to be a chameleon. I don't want to change myself for every single borrower. If we're not having the best process, maybe it's better you go find a loan officer that wants to do what you want to do. Right. And I'm okay with that because I'll still get mine. I think that attitude actually helps because if you feel like you have to get every single one, like you said, commission breath. Right. They're going to smell it on you. But if you're just like, yeah, I'm a solution. I think I'm the right solution. I've been doing this a long time. I know what I'm doing. I can help you, but I don't need to help you. Then that kind of exudes a type of confidence that instills a lot of trust, I think. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's the detachment of the outcome, which is, I think, a super powerful Mm -hmm. tool from a mindset perspective for salespeople, right? Any salespeople in general, it's just, you know, you're going to deal with rejection. And if you just okay with the fact that like, you know, the next no could just mean, you know, hey, you're one no closer to a yes. I mean, again, I think the hard part too, is just don't take it personal. You know, at the end of the day, don't take it personal because, but again, you know, just kind of starting off, like when someone's like newer, like I'm sure to them, 
they don't have that sort of background maybe that you have, you know, so how are you? They don't have that paradigm. They don't have that lens. They don't have the perspective. You, you were rejected probably tons doing the auditions and stuff like that. But, you know, for <laughs> someone who's maybe never even been in sales before, I don't know, maybe you don't even hire people like that. But, you know, I'm assuming there's some people that come in that have never even been in sales before. Yeah. How do you train that muscle or how do you get them to understand or adjust their mindset to be okay with it. Cause I mean, I could see that, you know, especially in the first few weeks, they might come to you a little dejected and like, all right, man, I've just gotten all nose. Like, so, mm. so how do you sort of overcome that? So the biggest thing I try to preach and try to instill is that no, never means no, no right. just means not right now. And if I look at that as if I get a no from a borrower, even if I'm lying to myself, I'm just saying, oh, they just right. don't want to do it right now. Right. If I have to lie myself into believing that, and keeping that positive energy, then I'll do that. And then I reach out again in a few months, right? I never throw a single lead away, right? I've got bankers that reach out all the time. They're like, should I deactivate this lead? And I'm like, no. Like, well, he told me that I was ugly and I was the worst banker he's ever spoken to and he's never, ever, ever going to work with me. Should I deactivate it? No. Right. It's going to forget that he said those things to you in two or three months, right? You right. can't throw money away, right? And so as long as you can tell yourself until you believe it, that no just means not right now, then you can fake yourself into being okay with it, if that makes mm -hmm. sense, right? Fake it till you make it is something I say a lot because at the end of the day, a lot of my bankers who are concerned, I always ask them, I'm like, you know more about the mortgage industry and what you're doing right now than 90% right. of society. You just do. So go into your calls, go into your pitches, go into all of these meetings with that confidence of knowing that you know right. a lot more than you think you do. And at the end of the day, I use something all the time. I call it the no big deal attitude. There's a very big difference between important and urgent. And that's one of the things that I try to drive a mm -hmm. lot in the first few weeks, because I'll be sitting here, I get a team's chat and they're like, I'm on the phone with a borrower and I need to know this. And I respond to them every time with, no, you don't. I just say, no, you don't finish the phone call. We'll talk about it afterwards. And that helps drive home the like, hey, as long as I'm able to like communicate with the borrower, hey, I understand you want that information. You know, the guidelines on that have just changed recently. Right. I don't want to give you fake information. Let me check with it and I'll circle back around. But for now, let's talk about and then move on to getting to know what they do for a living, right? Stay the course on that phone call and then you can fix anything down the road. And so that's kind of what I try to do with them early on. I love that. I think that's huge. And I, it's one thing that I always talk about too, is like the consumer doesn't know anything about anything. Right. Like whatever they say coming onto the phone call, like as long as you show up and say, yeah, for sure, we could definitely talk about that. You know, we have all kinds of options for you. We have all kinds of different programs that are great for you. But if you come in, like, oh, 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 that's the sort of energy that's going to be like, oh, this person doesn't know what they're talking about. Exactly. So it just comes down to just being, you know, being good at redirecting the conversation. But talk a little bit yeah. about how you do that, because I think, I mean, I have some ideas. I want to hear from you as to like, how do you deal with, you know, one, obviously there's in the first couple seconds of a phone call, there's going to be that brush off objection that comes up like, oh, I'm not interested or whatever, right? Like, what are you doing in those situations? You know, because obviously part of the sales process, if you can't keep them on the phone, you're not going to sell anybody. Mm, <laughs> so, right. you know, I know that those first, you know, 15 to 30 seconds is like really the most important part of the conversation so that you can get to the rest of it. Right. So what are you doing there and that side of things? So I'm not even talking about mortgages for the first two minutes of the phone call. I listened to a phone call the other day from a banker eight minutes, eight minutes before they even talked business at all. They were talking about the NBA finals. They were talking about like the upcoming draft, all these different things. And it was a person that they had never spoken to before. It was their sure. very first time speaking to this borrower. And then it was just, all right, well, I guess we should probably talk about why you called. And then they shifted into it. And it's that rapport building that's so important, right? You want to 
really make sure that you leave a great taste in their mouth at the very beginning because that's going to get the temperature going up. We don't want them to be at that even, you know, neutral temperature. You got to get their temperature up and their excitement up immediately. So turning it on to them, getting them talking about their process, getting them to talk about where they are before I even shift into anything that has anything remotely to do with mortgages. Sure. I get them excited about what's coming up, whether I'm talking about a refinance or a purchase. And as long as you're able to do that, you tend to build enough trust so that they will allow you to bypass those objections later in the conversation, right? I think a lot of people are afraid of objections. And I tell every single one of my trainees, objections are manna from heaven. If somebody really doesn't want to work with you, they're going to hang up the phone, right? Right. But if they object to something or if they push back on what you're saying, they're literally giving you the roadmap on how to sell them. Right. They're telling you exactly what concerns they have. And if I address those concerns, then they're going to trust me and move forward, at least with the phone call and stay and right, right. to the end. Right. I might not necessarily close it, but they're going to give me at least a shot Sure. if I'm able to do that. So I love that. I think there's a huge amount of value in being able to have a conversation with, you know, strangers. I mean, I think that's the hardest part mm -hmm. that people deal with is like not really understanding how to, and I think one of the problems with not building some rapport at the beginning is like, yeah, you might get the application if you kind of just push through and just go hard. But what I've found is a lot of times the people that are doing that then have issues with getting docs back with getting people to, you know, pick up the phone in the future. They get ghosted, you know, things like nobody that. wants to be bullied. Right. If you just bully through, yeah, they'll let you stay on the phone. Right but then they're not going to pick up ever right. again. So absolutely, 100%. Okay, well that, yeah, that's what I was wondering. I just did it. I said 100%. 100%. I did it right there. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's all good. It's one of those things. And I think that's the other thing that you'll get when you do call reviews, just for everybody who's listening. You know, if you do call reviews, you're going to find those things, those filler words that you use. And it's not wrong to say that maybe once or twice in a conversation, but if you use the same word every single time, yeah, I do think that, you know, that shows, right? Just like, um, right. Some people use, um, yeah, but some people have learned to fill the silence. And I think one of the most powerful tools in sales is actually silence. Yeah. Um, and I'm saying, um, right here, but you know, one of the most powerful things in sales is silence. And if you can use silence to your benefit, like it's going to actually get them to have the conversation and to, you know, give you more. Right. And I don't know if you ever leveraged silence. I know that's one of the biggest tools that I've learned. I do all the time. And I call myself out on this a lot of times because it's one of the greatest stories I have was early on. I'm a talker. I think nobody gets into sales, especially phone sales, if they're not a talker. Right. right. And I just remember maybe like the first day, if not the first week, I was on the senior sales floor. It's refinance. And I'm in the middle of my sales pitch. And finally, like my sales manager, like just looked me dead in the eyes and told me to shut the f up. <laughs> and I was like, and I was just silent. And then the guy was like, all right, let's do it. And I was like, oh, I was talking myself out of the sale. Right. Thank you for telling me to shut up. Right. Yep. And so one of the things I do is we talk about like different sales psychology stuff and like doing some type of call to action right at the top of the phone call just to get a little bit more buy-in. And one of the things that I've found is really good is like, hey, uh, do me a favor, grab a pen and paper. I'm going to give you my contact information. Love it. And then I just say, I'll wait. And then I just shut up and I wait for them to grab the pen and paper or say something else. And it, generally I get what I want. You hear them like climbing out of their chair as they go walk across 
the hallway to get their pen and paper. And then I know from then at least, you know, they're going to give me a chance. They're going to listen to me because they're already doing what I'm asking them. Right, right. I think that's a hugely powerful tool right there is just, I don't know if you've ever read the conversion code, but that's one of the things, you know, Chris Smith talks about in that book as well is, you know, using some sort of a command and getting them to do something at the beginning of a conversation. Mm -hmm. It's just a way to get that buy-in. And then also what it does is it puts you on a different frame. And for anybody who's listening to this, that doesn't really kind of understand that from the sales perspective is the frame is like, you know, if you're showing up as the expert and you can show up as like the person that knows what they're talking about, it's going to put you in a different position versus being like the super salesy type of person that's just going to like push someone. It puts you in like a preeminence frame versus, you know, like a pushy, like, hey, I'm going to push you, you know, down the line, right? I'm actually going to give you great information. Right. Plus, you know, getting them to take action is already the first thing that, you know, that, that kind of super smart. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. And if I can do that in the first five seconds that we've known each other, then I'm pretty happy yeah, for the rest that's of That's awesome, man. It's interesting because I haven't heard a ton of people talk about that, but I do think that, you know, if you can get that to happen. And I guess real quick to kind of just double up on that, like how do you do that in a way that's like, because you have to have confidence to say that. You can't come and say that like real meekly because mm. I'm sure like, hey, can you grab the, a pen, please? Like they're just not going to be like, no. <laughs> But, you know, so like you just have to use. Exactly. And that's, well, yeah, it's one of the things that we get, especially early on, like when I'm in training and I'm going through like role playing and stuff, my trainees are always like, can you go do this? And I'm like, no. And I just keep drilling and pounding it out so that they can start using some assumptive language when they do it, like go do this. And it just takes time, right? It's going to feel super uncomfortable at the beginning. But like I said, you can't grow if you're comfortable, right? There's another, oh gosh, I'm going to forget the guy's name, but there's a TED talk that I love where a guy talks about the growth rings and how you need to put yourself into specific Mm -hmm. stages of discomfort in order to grow and just keep doing it. As long as you push yourself to continually honoring it and embracing the discomfort, eventually it's just not uncomfortable anymore. It's the same with anything, right? The first time somebody reads AUS findings on a loan, they're probably like, I don't (laughs) speak Hebrew. I don't read Greek. I don't know what I'm looking at. But after you've looked at finding 10, 15, 20 times, 100 times, you know, it's just second nature. So it just takes dedication and practice or dedication to the practice. I I love that, man. One of the things that we find a lot is people are very resistant to one, taking an application over the phone, two, and I'm not talking about like people, Mm. I'm talking about loan officers are resistant to doing that because they're just used to sending a a link. Right. And I think, you know, when you're referral based and switch to try and leads, that's kind of like the MO is like, Oh, I just send the the link, but that doesn't tend to work. So how do you, that piece, and then also taking the social, like, Mm -hmm. why do you think it's important? I'm assuming you guys do it that way. Why do you think it's important to do it on the phone versus, uh, you know, sending a link? So if I just send a link to a borrower, we've already talked earlier about how I need to set myself apart. If I just send a link to a borrower, I'm just a computer to them. Right. And I'm in no way different from anyone else. Gotcha. And then it just becomes them interacting with a computer system and not interacting with me. And I have zero rapport in that situation. Mm -hmm. Do we have rapid applications that I can send? Yeah, I can do it. I personally refuse to do it. Right. I can maybe if we get down to we've been going around for 10 minutes and the person won't even tell me their name or their phone number, then maybe I'll do it. Right. But for the most part, I don't want that because I want to build a rapport and I can't do that. I'm not sitting down face to face with them. Right. I can't do that. My only way to do that with a borrower is over the phone. And so I would much rather be a person than a computer to them because if the whole transaction is just transactional and they're just looking at the computer, no matter how good you are, no matter how low priced you are, no matter how whatever you are, someone is willing to undercut you. Right. Someone's willing to take a haircut to steal business. Right. 
And if it comes down to that, I have nothing. And so I refuse to let it become that kind of transaction. I almost, even when borrowers are like, hey, can you just email me? I'm just like, no, no, man, you and I are going to talk on the phone because that's the way I do this. If you want someone to do that, then you should probably go talk to another lender. Right. And then honestly, they're generally, they respect the fact that I'm like, not going to change my way. Right. So... I think that also sets you apart. I mean, because you talked about it, right? It's yeah. transactional minded. And so many times people are transactional minded. But the thing with loans and mortgages, like the truth is, it's pretty much a commodity, right? I mean, you know, realistically, mm. yeah, rates are, you know, within, you know, a couple percent, you know, a couple hundred basis points or not a like hundred basis points, a couple whatever basis points, right? And so there's not that much differentiation. And ultimately, the other thing that people forget is that like, they think that what people want is really just the lowest price and things like that. But the truth is, that's not really what humans necessarily want. I mean, you think about it, like if you ask someone two, three years after they've done their loan, how many of them are actually going to remember what rate they actually have? It's probably going to be a small percentage of them. So really that's not their biggest pain point. It's really just like, all right. One of the things I always say about that is people buy on emotion and they justify with logic. Yep. Right. And so if I can't have an emotional connection, nobody's going to care about me. Right. I get that emotional connection and then they go home and they talk to their spouse and they're like, this is why Kyle's amazing. And then they talk about rates and pricing and try to justify it from that stance. Right. But they're right. already emotionally bought into working with me, right? And right. so that's one of the things that I think is just vital, I think is even too weak of a word, right? First and foremost, let me take a step back. Anybody could find success over the past two years. Right. Anybody could have. But a lot of those people are now gone. And the only people who are still here are either long term, they've been here a long time, or the people who are like, yeah, this is my career and I'm going to do it the right way. Right. And so you can't do it the right way if it's just in numbers on a screen. Right. I'm not an order taker. I'm not a menu where people can just pick a rate and fee combination. Right. I'm a person and I'm going to treat you like a person and you and I are going to do this transaction multiple times throughout your life because I'm now your loan officer. And you're going to make sure that I'm all of your friends and family's loan officer, right? And I say that even from a direct-to-consumer model. Like I tell every single one of my bankers, I want you to live your life thinking that your lead flow can be turned off tomorrow. Because it could be turned off tomorrow. Right. We could decide to stop buying leads for you. We're not going to. But it could happen, right? right? So you need to treat every single borrower as if it's like a gold mine that you need to get as much out of as possible. I don't mean like get as much money out of them or anything. I mean, get as much as you can from that emotional and social connection that you've made so that you can continue to tap into that and expand your sphere of influence, Mm -hmm. right? And like, I've gotten more referrals out of people that I can't work with than out of people that I have worked with because I've treated them like people. And they've gone to their friends who maybe are in a similar situation. And they're like, dude, Kyle treated me like a person. Go talk to him. Right. So I love that. I love that. I don't know. Yeah. No, it's just to kind of wrap things up, man. Yeah. Like, you know, just to follow down that vein, what would you say to a loan officer starting out or a loan officer in today's you know economy? Just go out and get more business. Like, what would you say is kind of the one thing that you would do to get more business or to, you know, to close more deals? Yeah. One of the things I love about the concept of the podcast here about flipping the script is that like it has changed. Right. Traditionally, what happens is a person walks into a real estate office. They say, I want to buy a house. And they're like, cool, here are three lenders. These are my best friends. Go work with them. And with the advent of technology and with the Internet and the way that information is so readily available to borrowers, that has flipped. Most people go online and they're like, I wonder what interest rates are at. 
Right. And then all of a sudden they find a lender because they went to Credit Karma, they went to Nerd Wallet, they went to Investopedia, insert whatever lead by source here. And then they find a lender who then says, hey, here are some real estate agents that I know. Right. And the market's really starting to shift more and more in that direction. And I think what you got to do is just understand, first and foremost, you have to bring value to everyone at every single step. If I call up a real estate agent and I'm like, can I bring you coffee? No, they don't want my coffee. Right, right. They'll have coffee with their friends. They'll have coffee with the people that they've been closing deals with for the past 10 years. They don't want that. you got to be able to market yourself in a way that provides value. And me just buying you a coffee is not value. Find ways to enter the market. right? For, like I've got my CMA certificate right there. I'm a certified mortgage advisor through the MBS Highway. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that you can do is provide that kind of knowledge that maybe the real estate agents don't have and offer some lunch and learns, right? right? Even that's kind of maybe going by the wayside because a lot of real estate agents are starting to have some in-house lending, right? but don't approach it from like, what can you give me? Because I don't know if that's commission breath, but it's something that real estate agents I call sniff it, out pretty fast. I right? call it a being a gimme LO, which is- A gimme LO, which right? Is what, gimme, uh, gimme, gimme. Yeah, which is what, I mean, that's the status quo, right? Is like, you know, it's just like, hey, I don't really have any value. And, and what I see all the time as well online is people like, well, no one wants to do the loan first, yada, yada, yada. I was like, but the truth is, is the reason why real estate agents get the business first is because when they come out of school, when they go hang their license with a broker, the broker says, go work your SOI, go market directly to the consumer. Guess what happens when a loan officer goes to a branch manager or goes with a broker? They say, go work with real estate agents. Mm-hmm. So that's the reason why real estate agents get the business. Yes, obviously the real estate is the sexier part of the transaction. But at the end of the day, like if you're not going direct to the consumer or bringing some sort of value, what are you value? I mean, yeah, everybody else can close loans on time, especially right now, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody can close loans on time. You know, rates aren't that crazy different. And so, yeah, how do you stand out from everybody else? And I yeah. think that's the key in sales conversations, both with real estate agents and with leads. And you got to do that for everybody. Go to Chamber of Commerce in your local area. Find lawyers, find, you know, business people who there are certain lawyers need continuing education every year. Right. Go to your local bar association and see if you can get some type of course together where you can provide continuing education credits and then offer that to law firms and be like, hey, bring your people to me. I will talk about some aspect of mortgage that they need to sharpen on, like your people who specialize in real estate law or something, Mm -hmm. and provide that as a value to them. Like if you don't bring value, it goes back to what I was saying earlier about being service driven, Mm -hmm. right? I never talk to anyone I mean, internally, there's probably some part of me wondering what I can get out of it. Of course. But I never approach any conversation from like, what am I going to get out of this? I always approach every interaction that I have from like, how much can I provide? And as long as I do that and I provide my best and I give them something of value, then they're going to want to reciprocate. And if you're going to do that, like one of the things you can do is target real estate agents that are earlier in their career. Mm -hmm. Don't go after your five, six, seven year veterans. Somebody who's been doing this for two years maybe doesn't have that list of preferred lenders right. that's as well fleshed out and see like, how can I provide right. value? How can I help you build your business or how can right. I do something along those lines, right? Yeah. Love it. And I would argue, don't go with the question of how can I go to them and say, this is what I right. will do for you. I love that. I have this already in place. You don't have to waste time telling me what you want. We don't have to have a coffee to discuss what my fit is. No, here's something that I will provide you. If this is something that you need, let's talk. If it's something we don't need, cool. I'll send donuts to the to the brokerage, right? right? 
and we'll part as friends. But providing value is my biggest piece of advice. That's awesome, man. I think that's huge. And I think that's something that people need to think more about. Like what is your USP or your unique selling proposition or unique value proposition mm -hmm. when you are talking to people, whether it be, you know, leads or whether it be real estate agents, right? You want to understand like, how do you differ from everybody else? So I think that's mm -hmm. one big thing, you know, as we kind of close out, if someone wanted to reach out and maybe they're interested in working with New American Funding or, you know, something along those lines or kind of reach out to you, where is somewhere they can find you? Yeah. Easiest place to find me is on LinkedIn. Cool. Right. I'm active somewhat on other socials, but LinkedIn's the easiest way to get in contact with me. So it's just Kyle Johnson CMA. Cool. If they want to find me and I'm always open. I talk to everybody who knocks on my door because, you know, I'm service driven. I like to help people. So love it. that's the easiest way to find me. Love it. Awesome, man. And just to kind of close out for anybody who's listening, mm -hmm. I think that one of my biggest takeaways from this are two takeaways, I guess I'll say is come from a place of service. When you're talking to mm -hmm. real estate agents or leads, you're coming from a place of service and not from the place of like, I need this deal. I want your deals. I want your business. The second thing is come with a value, like something that you can bring that's different from everybody else. And sometimes it doesn't have to be something crazy. Like we talked about with the leads earlier. I mean, part of it just comes down to let's actually understand what you want and let's figure out the solution to your problems versus just trying to like force everybody into a 30 year fixed just because that's, you know, what everybody sells. You know what I mean? So thank you so much, Kyle, for being here and yeah. you know, just giving us so much value, 100%. man. That was a fire episode. I loved it. For Appreciate everybody else who's listening, thank you and have a great day. Thank you for tuning into the Loans On Demand podcast on loansondemandpodcast.com. This is an I Love Mortgage Brokering production.